Are we good? All righty. Good morning, everyone. How's this volume? It's an honor to be here, um, honor to speak. You know, I see myself as a good thinker, not necessarily a good speaker. Sometimes I find it hard to relate exactly what it is that's going on up here. It's like, do you understand what this thing is I'm trying to present to you? Um, but I really do enjoy the opportunity to stand up here and to to share what God's doing, what he's doing in my life, what I see him doing in other people's lives, and to challenge myself in this, because I think it's good to uh, push ourselves. Well, we are in the second week of this Advent Christmas series, The Invitation. Do we have any of these sitting around somewhere? Well, shelf above the table there if you don't have one of them. I recommend you grab one. And uh, I have the pleasure of speaking about the Spirit's invitation to peace today. Now, the Lord invites us into all kinds of things, but I don't know if there's anything I really value more than his invitation into peace. Um, there's so much I'd love to talk about today. It, it was hard trimming this down into a 30-minute, 25-minute message. So I hope it's fluid and coherent. I have so much to talk about, not because I'm an expert on this stuff by any means. There's still so much to learn. But God's been doing so much in my life lately in regards to peace and really changing my reality of what it is to be a man of peace, to be able to share peace with others and to keep peace for myself. And when God does something in your life, it's a safe bet that you now have authority to share that with others, to impart that to others. So wherever you are in your walk today, I hope that uh, you can walk away with something valuable today. Anyways, we're going to be looking at the Advent account of Joseph, Mary's husband, in a little while. But first, I want to just examine the word peace a little bit more closely. What does God have to say about it? And he has a lot to say about it, it turns out. Uh, many times when we see the word peace in scripture, it's uh, in the context of maintaining relational unity. Like don't be at odds with one another. Be at peace with one another. And there's a lot of verses that talk about this idea. There's just a couple of them. First is in Romans 12:18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And another verse, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. That's a tall order. And there's so many other places in scripture that echo this idea because it's important to Father God. Like let's say me and Pastor Dick, we have some beef going on. Like we have conflict. We have, and I think we all know what that's like. We all have had conflict with someone where we think about them and we go, that person. <laughs> we're not at peace with one another, we're at war with one another. And the father hates this because if for no other reason, we're his children, believer or not. And it seems like a tall order to 
live at peace with everyone as much as it really depends on you, that's a little easier than it first sounds because it doesn't depend on what the other person does. So me and Dick are, have this beef going on and I, have a, I throw a fit and I'm offended at him and you know, But Pastor Dick doesn't have to be offended. He can keep his peace even if I lose mine. He can stay there. And offense is such a killer of peace, a killer of joy, a killer of love. If, if you are easily offended, you're going to have a hard time at life. That's a whole other message, but I don't really have time for that today. And for what it's worth, this idea of unity and peace, it doesn't mean agreement. I think that's what trips people up. A man named Seth Dahl, who led children's ministry out at Bethel Church in California, he says it like this. Agreement is not how to recognize authentic love. Think about when you have something in your teeth. Someone who cares about you tells you. Or the times that you need to be corrected. Someone who loves you will correct you. Society has tried to redefine the people who love you as the people who won't ever disagree with you. But people aren't afraid to disagree with those they love because love and fear can't coexist. Mm. Being at peace with one another doesn't mean we never confront each other, or we never have disagreements or anything like that. It means we don't let our differences distract us from the fact that God treasures me and God treasures you. So let's play nice. Let's get along. That's one dynamic of peace. I don't know about you, but when I think of peace, the first thing that comes into my mind is that idea of peace in a storm. That in the midst of chaotic circumstances, I can be calm. I can be level-headed. I can be unfazed by stress. Like, that inspires me. Jesus demonstrates peace like this in the notable account of Matthew 8. A quick context, Jesus and his disciples are taking a boat across the sea. He goes to take a nap right on, and then a storm breaks out, an intense storm, so much so that the disciples fear for their lives. And some of these guys were fishermen, so they're capable in a boat, so you know this is pretty intense stuff. And we'll pick up in verse 25 of chapter 8. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? It said, you can't give away what you don't have, unless you're a government. But if you're a person, <laughs> if you're a person, this is an accurate statement. And peace is often imagined like, a monk sitting on a cliff, the, w the wind blowing, a bird landing on his finger, and just very serene and tranquil, and that's lovely. But that's not peace. Peace is not about external circumstances, but internal ones. It's not about still waters on the outside. It's about stillness on your inside. It starts right here. And if peace, if peace has been cultivated in here, then what's going on now? here is not as important. But if peace hasn't been cultivated in here, good luck. 
this is vital to grasp because there's another scenario where peace gets put on display. Something that I might call peace in the midst of resignation. A simple definition of resignation, the acceptance of something undesirable but inevitable. As most of us are probably aware, life is hard. Things happen, our plans go askew, and life just doesn't pan out the way that we were thinking it would. Whether it's an injury or an illness, whether it's we can't work anymore or the job we really loved is just gone, whether the house we thought we'd grow old in is we can't be there anymore, or relationships. You know, friendships break apart, marriages fail, people die. It's hard. It can be hard to move on. I see this a lot. I don't know if any of you notice this, but especially in these days. I see it on people's faces, like in the street, at Walmart, in the food pantry, even here at church. Disappointment. Disappointment with how life has turned out. They have no peace about it. They've just resigned themselves that this is life. And that's not how God wants anyone to live. Let's look at how the Apostle Paul thought about this type of thing in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Most of you will recognize the famous phrase used here, but it's interesting just the context that it's spoken in. This is Paul writing from prison. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me can do all things. And what are all the things Paul is talking about? Contentment in all circumstances. In other words, whatever happens in my life, I will be at peace. It's a bold claim. How can he make that? I mean, think about this. Imagine you're living your life. You're doing just exactly what God wants you to do. People are getting saved, lives transformed. You're seeing miracles. You're seeing miraculous things happen. It's all going great, and God tells you to go do something, and you go do it, and you wind up in prison for the rest of your life. I mean, Paul, one of the foremost apostles, I think that's how he thought his life would end. Probably not what he had planned. How do you take a blow to your plans like that and still be content, still move on, still have peace within yourself? That's a good question. Yeah. So much I could go into here. This is a broader topic than what just one comprehensive thought might answer. But what I feel is relevant today we can find in the Advent story of Joseph. So let's have a look at that. The verses we're going to examine are found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. Now the story leading up to this, Joseph, he's set to take Mary as his wife. And Mary comes to him and says, I'm a virgin, but I'm pregnant, and it's from God. 
And Joseph did not believe her because no real reason why he should have. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's probably been a few women over the course of history that have tried to pull that card. And like, a baby? <laughs> I don't know what happened. That life doesn't really work like that. But, you know, Joseph probably loved Mary a great deal. I can only imagine what was going on inside of him as he watched this happening. But he was an honorable man. And he decided he would break it off with Mary privately so as to not publicly shame her. And we pick it up here in verse 20. But as Joseph considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Skipping to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And Joseph gave him the name Jesus. And then they lived happily ever after. <laughs> uh, no. There were great trials ahead of them. And I'm sure Joseph was aware of at least some of them. I don't really know what it would be like to be Jew living in that time, in that culture, what they expected from their life. It's a very different time. But I am a man, and so I can at least understand somewhat of what Joseph expected out of life. I'm pretty sure life was not going the way he planned it. But it was going the way God planned it. And I think that's the key. Joseph was able to face an actually impossible situation with peace in his heart because he knew he was in God's will. And knowing God's will is so vital. I've seen a lot of believers just kind of go day to day, not really knowing what God is doing in their life. Like in the midst of the mundane stuff, I don't know. Like God's somewhere. He's doing something. And there are those that think that God's will is mysterious. Like you can't really know it this side of heaven. But I don't think so. I think scripture is pretty clear about what God wants and what he doesn't want. And that the Holy Spirit is here to guide us into those things. You can discuss theology with people like, why do these things happen in life? What, who's behind this and all that. But here in Ephesians, Paul sums it up quite precisely, I think. In Ephesians 5, starting verse 15 and 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul isn't writing to the elders of a church. He's writing to the entirety of a church. Don't be a fool. Know God's will. It's knowable. Do you know his will for your life right now? Like the choices you make this week, this, this month, going into next year, are you aligning yourself with God's will or are you going against it? These are good questions. Again, I wa don't want to bring this towards like 
heated theological angle on why things happen, but many people have this attitude that, well, everything happens for a reason. And it's true. Sometimes the reason is I messed up. That's not as glamorous as saying, well, there must be some deep meaning behind my mistake. And certainly, God uses all things for good. Whatever happens, he can turn everything around for good. But I don't think we can get around this fact. Examine this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5. Sort of represents what I'm getting at here. It says, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Sexual immorality. Scripture presents it quite plainly. That's not God's will for you. I can get a wild urge and go out and have a regrettable night somewhere and think, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, a bad reason. God makes it clear in Scripture that if I take these actions, I'm going against his will. We have a couple promotional posters here. There's one in the back there. They're in the bathrooms. that They give a little highlight of each week. Just a quick summary of what we're, what's going on. And for this week, it says, the shalom peace of God, the blessed assurance that we are in his care when we are in his will. And disclaimer, God has your back even when you're not walking with him. And my life can attest to that. I'm sure many of you can attest to that. Like, He's looking out for you even when you're off doing your own thing. Still, when we make decisions contrary to his will, we are sowing pain and suffering into our future and potentially the future of those around us. Take drug addiction. That's a big thing right now. I've seen so many people lose their battle on that front, lose their lives. Believers who had their hope in Jesus swallowed by this darkness. Well, it happened for a reason. Yes, a very sorrowful reason. Let's never forget, there's an insidious enemy out there that would love to drag you the opposite direction of where God is going at all costs. And it probably looks pretty tempting. And, you know, on the flip side, maybe you deal with a different sort of problem. I'm part of a prophetic group on Facebook where people share whatever they feel God is saying in any given moment. And this woman shared this just a couple of days ago of what she felt God speaking you are exhausted and frustrated because you did not wait for me. You ran out on ahead in your zeal, and now you are depleted and confused. Don't you remember? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet there you go again. Wait for me. Don't force doors open or try and blaze a new trail. Wait for me. I am the leader, the firstborn over all creation. My plans are to be accomplished, not yours. Why are you wearing yourself out in pursuits that seem noble but were not issued from my heart? Wait for me. Again. You know, it's one of my favorite phrases. 
The greatest enemy of the best is not the worst. It's the good. That has a few applications, but in this context, we can set our sights on something that is good and say, I'm doing this for God. It's a good thing. And God can say, why are you doing that thing? I never told you. I never asked you to do that. I wanted you to do this. God knows what's up. He's got a reason why you should or should not spend your time doing things. <laughs> Spending our energy and time on things God never asked us to do is an excellent way to grow weary in well-doing. You can't find sustainable peace there. It's only through knowing God's will, pursuing it, partnering with it, that we can find that blessed assurance. How to love that word. Blessed assurance. Not just hope that things will work out, but confidence that I'm doing what God said. And so regardless of what happens, I know it's going to work out in the end. And I can tell you with a certainty that God has set me in this direction. So even when things don't work out, and actually that's kind of the point, things don't always work out. The plan changes. The plan fails. Things happen. There's a bump in the road. That doesn't matter. Even when things are crazy and so much of my life, I don't know what the heck is going on over here. <laughs> but this I know, that I'm going in this direction. And until God says otherwise, I'm going to keep going in this direction. I just want to encourage you today to, within yourself, say, do you know what God is doing in your life? Because it's important to. It's really important to, to know what direction you're going. Is it a good direction? Is it a bad direction? Is it his direction? Would you stand with me? I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Your ways are not our ways. There's so many good things in the world today. So many things I think I should do. But I want what you want. And I'm sure that's echoed throughout this room. We want what you want, Lord. Your will is good. It is for us. It is for the betterment of not just us, but those around us. Holy Spirit, we just ask you would come right now. Meet us here in this place. And we just ask for your peace in the midst of whatever is going on right now. There is so much going on in just my life. I can't even imagine what you see. Looking down on all of us together here, all of our circumstances, all of our pains, all of our trials, all the things we hold so dear. It's a good thing you're way beyond us. You can gather it all together. Lord, we just pray. Peace in the midst of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. invite you up for prayer, if you could use it. If you don't have as much direction in life as you'd like, if you don't really know what God is doing, or if you just have no peace, if it just flees from you. I know uh, I used to roller coaster quite a bit. I'm peaceful. Oh my gosh. 
and now I'm not, and I'm up, and I'm down, and I'm all over the place, and that isn't really peace. It's just, just riding the circumstances of your life. But if you could use peace, I'd love to pray for you. If you're a Sockham student, you see people up here, come on up. And If you don't, uh, have a blessed day. I'd say, take this book, read this week's section, read the prompt. Prompts you to connect with the Holy Spirit to encounter peace because uh, we all could use a little more of that. Thank you.